welcome, welcome, welcome. We are, there's something about real estate, the conversation about all things real estate. Tasari, I am Janita Stanton. We have Reggie, Reginald Perriman, Kashaka Williams of Masari, and our guest is Attorney Jeter. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. Christina Jeter. Yes. Attorney. Okay, so I guess we can jump right into it. Would love to learn more about you and how you got started and, you know, just a little bit about your background. Okay, well, as you've already shared, I am a licensed attorney. It is something that I've always known I was going to do. I know that's kind of cliche, but I am one of those people where pretty much since the time I started talking, I've been saying I'm going to be a lawyer. And I am actually now licensed in Michigan, New Jersey, New York, and Washington, D.C. Claps. Yes. (laughs) And I also do trademarks nationwide, U.S. trademarks. I know it can go beyond that. So two of my primary areas of practice happens to be business law and estate planning. There's a lot of overlap when you're talking about those two areas and real estate. I also take care of contract law matters, of course, trademarks, as mentioned, and then I do offer prenuptial services. Cool. That's awesome. So a disclaimer, (laughs) Attorney Jeter did my estate planning for me. So (laughs) she was asking me questions, and it was like, Basically, like, who's going to pull the plug? Because right? <laughs> I don't, you don't think about that. You're just thinking about properties, but you're not thinking about when you're in a hospital. Mm-hmm. Who you're going to give that authority to. Mm-hmm. So you got to think long and hard. So mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there, which, you know, there are, there are a lot of moving parts. And one person's estate plan will not be exactly like the next person's estate plan. And you really do have to kind of walk through What does this person need now? What may they need later? What could change? What are they working with? Have they given an indication that something new is coming about? You're really looking at all of that. And a lot of people get caught up in this thing of, oh, well, it's just a will, so I'm good. It's like, "Mm, no, I don't think you're really good because you might be someone where if you have a lot of health issues, You really do need to pay attention to what's going to happen while you're still living. Is someone on board to make those decisions for you, help you make those decisions if you can't? Do you need someone to take care of your finances? Do you need to get a board or a CPA involved? Do you own a lot of property? Do you own a business? Do you own nothing? Do you have minor children? Do you have adult children and they don't get along? Do you not get along with somebody? (laughs) You know, they're just there's a lot to it. I like to answer some of those questions. Um, yes, to all of them. <laughs> and I am just sitting here. Um, I can't wait until I talk to you like to Monday. <laughs> so, so what's funny is, uh, well, I can't say it's funny, but what's unique is that, you know, we talk about probate a lot and properties and probate after we leave. But your family also owns a funeral home, right? Yeah, my grandparents have started a funeral home. Of course, okay. it's gone through changes over the years because right. that they started that funeral home in 1973, I believe. Okay. My grandparents are no longer here. But my early years, I grew up in and around the funeral business. So there was a lot that I got to see myself that a lot of people don't see until, you know, they're full-fledged until their adult years. So you see people come in and... 
something about the situation just isn't right. But you right. also see people come in where they all get along, but it's just it's too much emotionally. Mm-hmm. And then when you're talking about, okay, you have to set up your, fun- your funeral arrangements and then get into your probate process, right. it can be too much for a whole lot of people. And we have a lot of people out here where they talk about, you know, well, I want to avoid certain things and I don't want this person to know about this and I don't want to do it that way. Okay, well, where's your paperwork? What do you have in place? Well, we don't have anything. So how do you, as an attorney, help with, like, that part, the tumultuous part of it? I mean, because I feel like it's the obvious part where it's like, yeah, we need to get things in writing so there's no confusion. Right. But when there is confusion, like, what what, like, what do you jump in and kind of be like, you know, Jeter to the rescue type? <laughs> <laughs> well, right. one of the things that I do because of how I grew up and seeing things in the funeral business, I come from a place of empathy and intuition. And so it's very different from some other practitioners. And there's we all have different styles. But sometimes with other practitioners, they're really focused on, can I just get your paperwork together and get you set up that way? And yes, we want to do that. But at the same time, I'm listening to you and I'm kind of gauging to see, okay, if you just said your brother's name six times, but you never mentioned this sister, okay. what's going That's on there? Sweet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, it's we have to really pay attention to that because it may be a situation where this person didn't mention their sister because they know their sister is going to be the one who may fall apart. So mm-hmm. do I need to get your permission to have this conversation with her if you've appointed her in any capacity? Do we need to all come together and just have a general conversation about this is what you need to do? I always push any of my clients to have the conversations that they need to have with anyone whether they're going to appoint them as a personal representative, it's just their children, someone who's going to be a beneficiary or whatever. A lot of people don't like to talk about it because, you know, yeah, yeah I don't so, want to talk about that. So yeah. let me ask you this. So um, we're talking about probate, so we're going to talk deeper about that. But what's the biggest difference between or the benefits of having a will versus having a trust? So they can work in tandem. Okay. And that's the thing. They can really work in tandem. A will is going to lay out what you want to happen with those things where maybe you didn't specifically name it. You just kind of grouped it all together. Then it could be covered in your will. If you have minor children, you can name a guardian in a will. Hmm. If you are looking at, you know, a situation where you've been out here and you're still full force, you know, you're taking care of yourself and everything else and you still have bills, you still have creditors or whatever, then your will is going to lay out and lead into the process where you can essentially take care of that. You've given your directions that way. A trust, on the other hand, is an instrument that people will use to try to get around the probate process. And it can be it can be an instrumental tool. The thing about it, though, is it depends on how that trust is set up. And a lot of times people will try to establish a trust which acts essentially as a company, and they don't put anything in it. So it's like, okay. Well, I have it. (laughs) Yeah. What was the purpose of it? So basically a trust, it would be an entity, basically another sort of like business entity, and you can own property within the trust. It essentially can work that way. Okay. Um, You have some people where they will name a trust as a beneficiary for life insurance or for a brokerage account or anything like that. But... Disclaimer, 
that's when I begin to ask people, do you have a CPA? Do you have a financial advisor? Because you need to talk to someone who can walk you through what the tax consequences may be. Do you really need to shift this somewhere else? Do you really need to name an outright adult beneficiary? What do you need versus, hey, I want a trust because everybody else has a trust. (laughs) I got a question. So is it it several different trusts, several different types of trusts? There are different trusts. So at a very high level, you have the trust where you get it set up and you can do whatever you want to do with the property that's within it. You can revoke it later, whatever you want to do. There's another type of trust where you can't revoke it. So whatever you put there, (laughs) be sure this is what you really want. Irrevocable? Exactly. Exactly. It's it's all in the, the names itself. So you have a revocable trust and then an irrevocable trust. But then you also get into things like special needs trust. If you have children or even some people where they may be elderly, you have some special needs that need to be taken care of there. You could have a spendthrift trust. You might have someone where maybe they're little loosey-goosey with the finances. (laughs) You just want to make sure, you know, things are in place for them. There are different types of trusts. But at a a pretty high level, usually you're working with a revocable trust. Sometimes you get into the irrevocable trust. Okay. So why would you use irrevocable trust? Like, what would we tell? Well, an irrevocable trust is one where you really want to get things set up and you want to keep it there. Like, you really just want to keep it there. Mm -hmm. Now... The trick with it is you could have something set up the same way with the revocable trust. But if you think, hey, something's going to come up 20 years from now and I'm going to have to sell this property that's in this trust and I really want to force myself to find some other avenue to take care of it, you might go with an irrevocable trust. Mm -hmm. You might have more money going into an irrevocable trust. You might have more like real estate property going Mm -hmm. into a revocable or revocable trust. So it really just depends on, again, what that individual is looking for, what it is they need. Right. If something seems a little fishy. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I you need know? A, um, a story. Like, I need like two stories, though. Like the the worst situation, like, and then like maybe like, so like I have. Um, stories where people did really good at passing, like man, they had all that set up. Yep, they, right. their family didn't have to do anything but like put the obituary together. Yes, but like, do you have any interesting stories around like trust <laughs> that you can don't name you know, <laughs> share? So the things that come about when you're talking about people with trust, and it isn't so much a thing of. Just a revocable or irrevocable trust because that does come up and it is supposed to operate outside of your probate process. And again, sometimes you have people where they didn't name everything. They don't have a will. So then you're going to follow your intestacy laws in whatever jurisdiction you're in. So basically it's the default laws that are on the books that say we're going to take our best guess. This is what we think you would have wanted. And so you do have some situations where that may come up. Now, for some crazy stories so, I've even wait, seen. Hold, Go hold ahead. on. So, just, so you mentioned something that I think is important. So if someone doesn't have their uh, paper in order or they don't have their business in order, the state can take over or the courts can take over and say, hey, we're giving this real estate to whichever son or sibling that we want to give it to. 
Not necessarily. Okay. So the default laws that are on the books usually, let's say you have someone and they die, as we say, intestate. So you don't have a will at all. Well, if this person was not married and they didn't have any children, okay, then we need to check. Do you still have living living parents? Then from there, if you don't have parents where they're still living, do you have any siblings? If your siblings aren't living, then we're going to keep on going down the line to see, well, do you have nieces, nephews? Is there a cousin somewhere? That kind of a thing. Where in real life, if that person had really taken care of something, then they could have said, you know what? I want this property to go to my church. And I want this property to go to my one niece. Because everyone else... They're good. They don't really need anything. So it isn't so much the court stepping in and taking over. You could have someone from that family still go to the court and, you know, request to be assigned as the personal representative and get the process started. If it doesn't appear as though they're really going to be any issues, no one is going to contest it or anything like that, they can go ahead and take care of it. And the court doesn't necessarily have to be overly involved. And what I mean by that is it isn't really the court that's making that decision for you. Right. Not not usually. Okay. All right. Is Michigan a common law state? What do you mean? Like with uh when people live together for a certain number of years without actually being legally married. Uh I believe Michigan got that law off the books in 1953. So that's so if a person died in test state like what you said and then with the courts you trying continue to look out for all the in, in, in living girlfriends all the in-house. No, I'm, just, <laughs> no, I'm curious because I'm wondering if, if it goes married, to like that fifth cousin <laughs> or can that uh a person that they've been with for 20 years have any um, claims? No. Okay. So we'll go to the fifth, like that fifth cousin. If, <laughs> if it got that far down. I mean, if it got that far down, <laughs> it very well could. And that's where you have people where, you know, they get into, oh, marriage isn't really a, a, an important thing and we don't need, it's just a piece of paper. Right. No, it it's a legally binding contract. And what people don't understand when it comes to marriage is, yes, there's, you know, there's the love side of it, but there's a business side of it too. And there are going to be some benefits that you get outright when you have a legal marriage in place. So a lot of people fall into this thing. We heard it when it came up for DMX's situation. May he rest in peace. Or you have someone, they're seeking to be labeled as a common law wife, and that's not what you have in that jurisdiction. So you don't qualify for it. You get nothing. It doesn't mean that the person you were with couldn't have named you as a beneficiary in any of their documents. They could have. But if they didn't do it, there's nothing you can really do about that. After 20 years. Mm -hmm. Your choice. um, So so if someone has um, several real estate properties or maybe they're in an entity name or their individual name, it would be wise for them to have a will to determine where the properties go. Um, can they say, well, I just want all the prop, all the real estate to be sold? And just can they dictate that, determine yep. that in their will? Exactly. They can, a person can definitely just give a general statement. If I have okay. real estate property, you know, just go ahead and sell it all. Right. But you brought up a key point, and that is someone has an entity. It's this right. business entity that really holds this property. So then someone like me, where I cover both business law and estate planning, my next question to that (laughs) client is, okay, so what business documents do you have in place? 
Because a lot of people, they set these businesses up and then they don't have operating agreements. You don't have articles of incorporation outright. You don't have any other contracts on board. And in those documents, that's where you can really lay some things out and it coincides with your state. Because it may be a situation where that entity and whatever you were supposed to get as your portion or your share coming out of the business may have to be put into a trust. You might spell it out where, you know what, if you have five business partners and one person dies, the business can essentially buy their portion back or the business just has to end and whatever portions are automatically put into a trust somewhere. There are all types of things that you can do. So, yeah, with that, you can have a will. It should coincide with what's in place for the business. But we know people don't do that. Follow up to that question. Right. So in the scenario with the five business partners, mm-hmm. you don't have the operating agreement. Okay. Ooh. One of them passes. Okay. It's a corporation. And so, well, corporation or LLC, tell us if there's any difference legally when when this happens. Um, what is What typically happens in that situation? So there are some differences. Usually for a corporation, you're looking at shares in a company. And that's usually what that is. And you can have additional things set up. When you get into corporations, you're also looking at uh, what's the the tax liability and different things like that. For an LLC, it's usually you have your your member share, your member portion, and then it's a pass-through entity, Mm -hmm. typically, unless someone decides they want to go with an escort designation, and then it's a little bit different. So when you're talking about someone who dies, Basically, it's going to be whatever the default laws are Mm. for whatever jurisdiction that business is in. Because we have some people, they set things up over in Delaware because Mm. they're looking for bigger (laughs) investors. Mm -hmm. Right. And then someone dies in Michigan and they're like, okay, well, how do we take care of this? Well, you set your stuff up in Delaware, didn't put an operating agreement in place to say Michigan law is going to rule, go back to Delaware. Mm. And so, you know, people just have to be really careful when they're trying to get things set up and thinking through, well, what needs to happen? But death isn't the only thing that comes up. The main reason I even offer prenuptial agreements is because you could have five people come together, three people, they're married. One person is single. It's just like, you know what? I'm staying single. The other person is engaged. (laughs) The four partners don't like the fiance. Because they think, you know what? Wow. She's just after your wallet, but we need you over here right now because you have a fifth of this company. Mm-hmm. Well, they may require that person to get a prenuptial agreement as part of their business arrangement. Mm. Like, there's, All right. there's so a lot hold, to it. Hold up, hold up, hold up. <laughs> so I go in business, we flipping these houses, or we building new construction. I got four partners. Mm-hmm. And the partners can say, I think it's wise we all get a prenup or whatever the case may be, right, Mm -hmm. to protect the company from your crazy spouse or whatever. Yep. And, yeah, that's where you're looking at the language there. So, go go ahead. ahead. No, No, so these are the things, like, a lot of times when people are just going online, filing their Mm -hmm. LLCs, they're not even thinking about this Mm -hmm. and how this tie into their personal family issues and it spills over to business, especially when you have partners. Exactly. And when you have partners and everyone's setup is different, 
you could have everyone is married, everyone has children, or everyone is single, no one has children, but life happens. So you could have one person where they're now the, the caretaker for someone in their family. You have the next person where now they have two children. It's, you know, 10 years down the road. The next person, they have a blended family somehow. And you just, you don't know what's going to happen. It doesn't mean people can't go back to these documents and update them. I always recommend that you do not set it and forget it, so to speak. You <clears throat> go through pretty regularly and make sure that everything is where it really needs to be. But yes, you could have all these partners come together and say, you know what? If any of us were to ever decide we're going to get married, everybody needs to have a prenuptial agreement. If not, this business has the right to buy you out. We could put this provision right. in here. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can set things right. up. It doesn't mean that, hey, I'm going to stop you from getting married. That's not what that is. But right. you do want to protect the yeah. business. Mm -hmm. And there are things that come up where, you know, people have children and they want to make sure their children continue to get their share. You can spell that out right. there, too. Wow. That sounds like, um, what was that, Little Rascals? He made a women's haters <laughs> club. Right. Like, nobody get married. We just partners. Um, so I just want to kind of go back to the probate issue. So mm -hmm. we have a lot of people that, like, maybe they were taking care of their mother or father, and they had, like, um, guardianship or power of attorney or whatever the case may be. But then this person passed. And then the person is like, okay, I want to sell the house. And I'm like, where's your paperwork? Oh, I had power of attorney or I had guardianship. Mm -hmm. So just to be clear, they can't sign anything once the person is dead. It doesn't carry over once they're deceased, correct? Well, once that person is no longer here and if there's nothing else in place, that's right. where we start the probate process. Right. And so basically that's where you need to get the letters of authority to bring back. And that letter of authority says, hey, yep, this person can act on behalf of this estate and get this thing taken care of if you don't have anything else in place. But to your point, I've had plenty of conversations <laughs> with people. And one of my questions is, well, do you have clear title? Because, right. mm -hmm. you know, you do. You have people where they were taking care of things for their, their elderly mother, their elderly father. And then it turns into, well, they didn't have any bills because I was taking care of everything. Well, Kudos to you, um, but do you own this right. outright? Because it causes problems for a lot of people, and those problems end up being now you need to go back in time and probate or administer one estate while you're trying to probate a new estate and get wow. everything cleared up. And this whole notion of I don't want to deal with probate, you didn't settle the first estate. So here right. you are with a bunch of quick claim deeds yeah. trying to, you know, move oh, you through must things. Have seen, you must have seen, seen what I've, we see. I've, yep. literally, yeah. I've literally had these conversations, and they're coming up more now because you have people who are younger. So you have Gen X, uh, the millennials. Mm -hmm. You have Gen Z even, where they're trying to drag in their parents their, you know, their grandparents and they're saying, yeah. you know what, could you please talk to them? And you start having the conversations and they're like, well, I had a quick claim deed and I sent this over to my sister and I did this with my brother. And then I put a lien on the house. Sound like my okay. dad. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. like everybody 65 and older. Right. Exactly. It comes up so much. And right. for whatever reason, there's been a lot of misinformation when it comes to the probate process and this mm -hmm. whole thing about, well, I don't want to have to deal with probate. You still have to somehow settle this estate. So you right. may not have to have a full-on formal probate process, 
but did you settle the estate so that right. it's clear you can show up and sell this piece of property? Right. If not, go back. Mm-hmm. If yes, move forward. Now, just to be clear, you can you can get permission from the court to sell the property prior to the estate closing out, correct? It can, depends. Right. It really depends. And it's also it's also contingent on the jurisdiction you're in, what else right. is going on with the estate, if everything right. looks as though it's okay. Sometimes you can. Right. Sometimes you can't. But, right. you know, every case is different. It might come up. Okay. Right. So... Um, quick question. So as far as the business entities are concerned, is there like for real estate purposes for someone that's maybe flipping or buying and holding rental properties, what would be the benefit of putting the properties in your company name versus holding in your individual name? But, because, but separate them, LLC yeah. and corporation, because some do the corporation and some mm-hmm. do the LLC, though. Yeah, because what we get, the reason... A lot of um, people get confused is because, one, for tax purposes, the accountants are telling people one thing. Then for financing purposes, some lenders will only loan to the individual, not the company. So can you explain a little bit what the benefits are from a liability standpoint? Yes. So generally speaking, if you set up a formal entity, there is going to be some level of protection to you individually. That's outright. Now, when you're talking about an LLC versus a corporation, at a very high level, they're going to operate similarly. But when you get into the weeds of everything, you're going to find the differences. And some of those differences are you could have an LLC where basically the owners are going to take their owner's draw. And then in their operating agreement, they'll spell out, do we take this owner's draw once a year? Is it going to be once per quarter or what is it going to be? Then when you're talking about the corporation, okay, you're looking at the dividends of the shares that you hold and what comes about with that. Then there are differences at, you know, when you're talking about taxes. So with an LLC, it's a pass-through. So the business isn't going to be double taxed in the same manner in which a C-Corp is going to be taxed. Essentially, what's going to happen is the tax liability is going to flow through to the owners or the members of that particular business, where with a corporation, you're looking at double taxation. So the business has a tax, and then all of you are going to have a tax, and then you kind of just go from there. Now, even further into the weeds, people decide how they're going to set things up based on do you have employees, do you think you're going to have employees, How many employees will you have? Do you want investors? That kind of a thing. And it's not impossible, for whatever reason, there are people out here who think that (laughs) once it's set up, that's it. You can convert one to the other. And it's really not that big of a deal. And that's where people who set up businesses really do need to go through, just like everything else, and review what you have. Is it time for you to prepare to make some changes? Right. Where you're going from an LLC to a corporation. Are you going from a corporation to an LLC? Are you dealing with employees versus contractors? Do you need to set yourself up because now you need to pay unemployment taxes and everything else? So there's going to be a lot that you're working with your CPAs, financial planners on, all types of things. Right. That's, wow. This is a lot of information. <laughs> yes, We're definitely, a, uh, is, I'm learning a lot, a lot right. here. 
I'm trying not to get too far into it because it yeah. goes deeper. Yeah. yeah. Sure. <laughs> Go so, ahead. Let's go. Yeah. No, I was just saying so because. What happens is, like we said, especially recently, everybody's just going out and starting their LLC or right. they go on some website and they do their will and they're not <laughs> even considering all the other stuff. And right. so would you say for somebody to just own their primary residence mm-hmm. that they should you do you um, advise everybody have a will regardless if they own a bunch of assets or not? I would advise everyone to have a will. But before we ever get to a will, I always advise people, if you're not ready to have the discussion about a will and you think you're okay with those default laws, do you have a medical director and do you have a durable power of attorney? We want to make sure that you have what you need while you're living because estate planning isn't just about what happens when you're not here. There's a big chunk. That happens while you're still living. Mm-hmm. So right. if you want to go out here and bungee jump and skydive and fall off the side of cliffs and mountains, <laughs> do you have something in place right. where, you know, if anyone needed to step in for you while you're still living and, in, you know, having your right. enjoyable moments, they can. And so that's usually where I start because sometimes people still don't like to have conversations about a will, but I do recommend right. That pretty much anyone and everyone has a will. There's no such thing as, even though I'm quite <laughs> sure we've all heard it, I don't have that much. Mm-hmm. Right. You'd be right. surprised. As I have been taught, and I think back to when I was in law school, I was in the estate planning clinic there. And it was right. drilled into me, small estates cause big problems because mm-hmm. people fight. Yeah, over the smallest yeah. thing. <laughs> when are wills, um, sometimes they don't hold up in court, correct? That does happen. <laughs> it, it does happen. If you have a well-drafted will and you've had these conversations and the relationships are pretty well, pretty stable, you usually don't have any issues. Now, that does not mean someone couldn't show up and contest it because mm-hmm. they could. Someone right. can show up and contest it. Right. And then you have to deal with that. It doesn't mean that the will itself won't hold up. It just means you have someone where they're trying to come in and say, you know what, I don't agree with that. I think it should be different. And then you're essentially going to litigate that out. And a lot of people don't want to have that. That's where those of us who do estate planning, we're paying attention to do you get along with these people? If someone tells me, you know what, I don't want to leave anything to this child over here and they have seven children, well, what happened with that child? Because they could very well come back and contest something later. So you do have that. But there are also times where someone has decided they're going to DIY their will. (laughs) Do it yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) You know, you... The random forms that are online or whatever, and then it turns out that what they used, it works in California, but it doesn't work in Michigan. Wow. Or it works in Michigan, but it doesn't work in New York. Like, I have a fully executed will, and I know for a fact if my primary residence is over in New York, I need to change some things. Because in Michigan, I can have my list attached and keep it there. In New York... You better not show up with this list attached. <laughs> you need to spell everything out. Right. So, you know, that's where you get into those situations where a will may not hold up. 
maybe they didn't follow the statutory rules when it comes to how you actually execute a will, because we do have things in place where you could have, it's called a holographic will. So it's in your own handwriting, self-proving, so to speak, as some people would say, but it needs to be written a certain kind of way. You don't get to go and make a video and say, oh, this is my last will and testament like they do on TV, <laughs> on TV. and in the movies. Oh, right. I thought I could do that. Exactly. We, we're not really rolling with that out here. Right. That's not how we're doing things. But then you also get into the, the specifics, the mechanics of it. Does it have to be witnessed? Does it have to be notarized? You know, how many days out does something need to be? That's where you get into, oh, the will doesn't hold up. But... Right. You know, okay. then you have to deal with the laws and the books. You you mentioned too about the um I forgot the medical the medical directive. Yeah. So if a person owns like several properties, right? And, mm-hmm. and they're still alive but they can't go out or mentally they're not there or whatever. Um that person can handle their business or what what is that called? Is it was it like a power of attorney yeah. or something? Yeah. Or, yeah. Yep. So your durable so, power of attorney. Right. You can have that in place for someone to act on your behalf. Right. What people don't really get into, especially when they set up LLCs just randomly. Right. You can have things spelled out there, too. And so what happens is usually there's going to be some cross-referencing somewhere. So let's say you own a lot of properties. You need someone to go out and act on your behalf, and you're just out of it. You had surgery. You know, you're on heavy medication for the next two weeks, but you got a lot of deals coming in right. during that, that time frame. Well, you should have a durable power of attorney, and you've already spelled out what they can do, how they can act on your behalf or whatever, right. especially if it's just you, because you could spell out, you know what, I need you to act on behalf of myself or this business over here. If it's you and some partners, you can spell out what the mechanics are and your business agreements. Then right. when it comes to your medical care, usually, for some of us, We include some language so that the person who's in charge of your medical care when you can't act on your own behalf has to work in concert with the person who's acting on your behalf for your finances or those type of affairs. Right. So it's an entire team that you're putting into place. Definitely. I I got a question. So you're in real estate and you own several properties. Mm -hmm. Is, can you tell, talk to us about the benefits of put, placing each property in a separate LLC or corporation or placing all the properties under one LLC or corporation? It really depends on what the long game is. Typically, though, you really wouldn't have a need to separate the properties that way. You could just have one holding company. That company is what's going to hold everything. Now, if you have multiple LLCs because you're in business with multiple people and it's not all the same, then yeah, you'll probably end up with different business entities because you simply have to. But it's definitely something that someone, if they're looking at getting into real estate or they're already in real estate, you need to talk to your CPA, (laughs) your financial advisor, because you're checking to see Okay, well, what are my tax consequences? Mm -hmm. Is it a situation where you would do better having everything under one umbrella and you choose an S-Corp designation? Or do you really want to deal with all of this pass-through stuff and it doesn't rise to the level where it makes sense to even choose an S-Corp designation? I mean, I've heard from some valuation experts 
where they normally recommend that if it's at about 50000 coming out of one business, it doesn't make sense to even go with that S-Corp designation. But then there's right. a range in between where it's like, eh, it could go either right. way. And then once you get over six figures, then it might make more sense. And so to your question, get to talk to the CPA. Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> so that's good. Um, I'm not letting her get away without my crazy story, but before we do oh, that, yeah, that's I'm going to pull back to this uh, ladybird deed. Oh, yeah, because we okay, were talking then... about probate, and everybody <laughs> wants to know what a, a ladybird deed is. So a ladybird deed is something where essentially you're setting up a life estate. Okay. So it's an enhanced life estate. The person who holds the property for the duration of their life, they can do whatever they need to do or want to do with the property. But then upon their death, it's going to automatically pass to whomever is named on this Lady Bird deed. Right. So there's no going through probate. There's no trust that's involved or anything like that. You just set up the Lady Bird deed. They get to enjoy it for their lifetime, and then it can automatically pass. But people have to be careful with Lady Bird deeds because you need to, <laughs> you need to make sure people actually get along. If you have right. a Lady Bird deed and you're leaving this behind to six people... Mm. Yeah. Is that the way it should go, or should you really put this in trust? Right. Or what if that person <clears throat> passes before you do? Well, that's where <laughs> you get into the question of, well, did they have estate plans in place? Because if they did, then whatever they were supposed to inherit, it might flow through that way. You might have default laws on the books. The person... When it comes to uh, their full-on estate plan, it may not happen with the Lady Bird deed because whoever they named is really just supposed to pass on to whoever is next in line. <clears throat> but the person who was supposed to take, they really should have an estate plan in place. That way, they can just go on ahead and do whatever it is right. they need to do. But you do have situations where someone may say, outside right. of a Lady Bird deed, that, you know what, if this person passes away let's say within 30 days of my death, then their line's not going to get anything. They could. So if if I did a Lady Bird deed and it was with my daughter, but I ain't like her husband, I shouldn't do a Lady Bird deed with my daughter. I probably wouldn't go Lady Bird <laughs> Because deed. if something happened to her, then it would automatically, probably, <laughs> most likely go down. Yeah, so there. usually uh, for mm. the for the the in-law that no one likes. Right. <laughs> Usually that's where the trust come into play. Okay. Yeah. Right. So that's where you're leveraging the trust. If it's like, you know what? I don't like her husband. I don't like his wife. We're going to put this in trust. And then, you know, if you two get divorced, then we're going to have protections over here. Right. If you two get married, you know, have at it. Oh, but we might, we might have lot, to check right? in. And then people have to be careful with that, too, because right. you're not really supposed to impose certain things on people when it comes to, you know, civil rights and liberties. Right. But sometimes people, they really push it. And so you have to have conversations about, OK, take a step back. What is it that you're really trying to achieve here? And can we make that happen? So before we um, before you tell your story, so because my mind is racing, so. If I go into business with somebody or if I'm preparing my estate, I need to know I like all the people and I'm going to continue <laughs> liking them. And then if I go into business with somebody, I need probably need to like their family just in case something happened to them. Or I need to know that they like their family. 
it I can end up dealing with their family if I'm in business with them. And then if they don't have an estate plan, then I can deal with a whole mess. So we all need to get an attorney, what it sounds NCPAs. like. And yep. CPAs. Attorneys, CPAs, <laughs> financial advisors. You might have some other people who are, you know, a part of your official team. Right. But there are there's certain measures that can be put in place. So right. you have people, they get into business, and they don't really know each other's families. You know, right. you got introduced at some networking event. You've interacted with each other, but you haven't met each other's families. Well, some people will just go ahead and enter a business with those people without really checking them out. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it's risky. But you can put things in your business documents where it covers some of those things. So, like, usually if I'm drafting up, let's say it's an operating agreement, I have a list of things that I'm going to ask my client about to see, are you comfortable that, you know, this business just shuts down or the business has, you know, the option to buy everything back if you die, if you get divorced, if... You know, the person is stealing from the company. They're just going to be, right. you know, ousted from the company. There's going to be a list of things. So then if something comes up for them with their family, whatever the case may be, a lot of times people aren't thinking about it, but lawyers, we do. Right. So we're trying to make sure that that language is there in your agreement. If you have someone and they are a wild child <laughs> and they're out here. And it's like, you know what? You might put yourself at risk, which means that you can't really function or operate in the business if something were to happen to you. They could be incapacitated, uh, disabled, whatever, and you want to build that in. So, yes, people need their lawyers, but the whole thing about, you know, dealing with people's families and the relationships and everything else, life is going to happen. And things are going to change. You could like someone today, not like them tomorrow. And then that's when, you know, people come back. (laughs) They're like, all right, I need to get this updated. It's like, all right, what happened? Right. Do you really want to change this now? Do you think that they would do something where they won't act in your best interest? Because for a lot of people, they can't separate those things. Is, you know, this person, they did me dirty and I don't want to have anything to do with them. Well, some of us out here can separate those things. So if I gave you my word and I said, this is what I'm going to do, then this is what I'm going to do. This is what you asked me to do. So in that, does the other party have to agree to make the changes? What do you mean? So uh, let's say that we have an operating agreement and we agree that if something happened, um, say Janita uh, got married, say she wasn't married, she got married, that um, she she did a... a um, a the prenup? Prenup, mm-hmm. a prenuptial agreement. And then I say that, uh, but it's time for her to get married and she decides that she doesn't want to do the prenuptial agreement anymore. She can't. She can't just say that, right? Uh, the, I mean, the other person has to agree. We would have to agree that she doesn't have to do the prenup, no, right? It depends on what you have in your operating agreement, mm. or right. you know, whatever business document agreement you have in place. A lot of people they don't have that, which means she can go off and do whatever she wants to do that fits her life. Right. But again, keep in mind, you're not trying to stop someone from living their life. Definitely. You're trying to protect your asset. Yeah, protect, protect the business. <clears throat> For sure. So right. you may have additional language in there that covers a situation like that. But right. it takes some time to really think through it all and figure out what does this business need? 
and situations like that come up. You know, people so, are like, we're not going to sign it. Well, did you go from a prenup to a postnup? Mm. So let's say that we do have operating <laughs> agreement, and we say that this is supposed to happen in the, in the you know in the operating agreement. If in the instance this happens, mm-hmm. um, but this person wants to change it, change what? That agreement. They okay. don't. They don't. No, I don't agree to that anymore. Okay. I don't want to do that anymore. They can't just. Uh, everybody in that partnership or in that company has to agree to make that change, right? If that's what you put in your, yeah, you would have to have like uh, your member set up and like voting, like your board and like all that kind of thing, right? If that's what you put in your yeah. agreement. Oh, so it's based, <laughs> on, said, it's based on whatever the contract so, says. So basically. it sounds like you almost have to play chess with your doc. You got to be like seven or eight moves ahead, ahead. Yep. Always. with an attorney and a CPA. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and does everybody have to have their own attorney? When you're setting up a business. It is always recommended that everyone has their own attorney. Not not the group, not just for our business. Well, you definitely can. So it's come up for me. It's come up for many practitioners. You have someone, they come to you and they say, you know what? I'm going into business with this person. I need, they could say, I need a partnership agreement. So then, you know, I start probing. It's like, do you really need a partnership agreement? Are you going to set this up formally, informally? How are you doing it? So then you get into, well, yep, we need an operating agreement or something along those lines. Okay. Well, after we get this set up, because I like you, I really want you to be the lawyer for the business. Okay. That's not a problem. But disclaimer, I'm going to let everyone know that I represent you when it comes to setting this business up and they all need to get, you know, counsel for themselves. But I also need to let you know that once I get into the role of representing this business, if you do something that conflicts with what's best for the business, I'm taking a step back. Mm-hmm. And now you need to find somebody else. For you legally. I mean, for, for you or morally. Is that moral for or legal? For me, pursuant uh, to my ethics rules. Gotcha. That I have to right, okay. <laughs> so I guess the question she was asking, though, so let's say that, all right, mm-hmm. you, you know, let's say none of us knew you, right? Okay. And right. we all came to you as a group. Mm-hmm. Then we would need to do that. Per se, right? Because we all came. So Reggie didn't come to you and then bring us to you. We all as a group came to you. So I'm going to outright ask, am I representing all of you individually? Am I here for the business? What is my role in this? And then if you all say, you know what, we're here because we want you to take care of the business. Okay. Do you all have counsel individually to make sure that your needs are really taken care of? Because sometimes what happens is the group will show up. One person sneaks back mm-hmm. and says, you know what? Can <laughs> yeah. you take care of me? And then after that, I'm like, you know what? I can't take care of any of this now. Right. Mm-hmm. So, wow. yeah. You have people where, you know, they say, well, I'm good with whatever is in there. I don't need to take care of it. That may not be the best thing to do. Right. But usually for businesses, you have one person, they come to you. They say, this is what I'm trying to do with my partners. This is what we really need. You get started with the business. You hope things go well. Sometimes they don't. Mm-hmm. And then we have to take a step back. So you need so message. You, you right. the message. message. You need two attorneys, <laughs> two CPAs. You, like, you need, and two you financial need two advisors. everything. Sound yeah. like you need two spouses because right. you might not like one <laughs> when you pass. It depends. Which brings me to my story. <laughs> All right. Let's let her have her story. story. Like they try not to, we got to make this interesting. It's all interesting, so... So more interesting. 
What were you looking for again with this story? I said it, it can even time. be like a, you know, something that's just been like off the wall or crazy or it could be good, bad, ugly. You know what I mean? It could be like the greatest thing. Man, this person had so much money and they left their kid. I don't know. It could be they had two wives. <laughs> like, well. It's probably not legal in the United States. Yeah. People still do it. Yeah. They right. still do it. They they fly under the radar, and then that's when you usually get into, well, this person's the legal wife, and this one isn't. Bye. Um, yeah. <laughs> trying to think through some things. I can some give her a the... scenario and ask about it. Is you that just Or you want to give her? Well, what's I your scenario? I, no, no, I, I didn't want her to. Touch she may not want to talk about it. I didn't know if legally, you know. We do have to can, be careful about some things. But what, what's your question? What's your scenario? I mean, we can draw up a, a situation. Um so let's say I got a really good scenario. Let's say okay. that an individual <laughs> was married, mm-hmm. uh, but their spouse passed. They never had kids legally. Maybe they had stepkids through the person they were married to. Okay. But they didn't adopt them legally, right? Mm-hmm. So this person, so their spouse passed. They have no. Um, uh, kids of their own, and they get um, Alzheimer's or dementia, mm-hmm. and now they're getting ready to pass. Okay, what happens in that situation? So that's not that crazy. Okay, um, that's a pretty normal <laughs> situation. All right, if they didn't have any children of their own, mm-hmm. of course, it's going to boil down to: Well, do you have your estate planning documents in place? Because you really do need to have that medical directive and that power of attorney, the durable power of attorney. If the relationship is okay with the children and those estate planning documents are in place, then they may have been named or someone else may have been named. Someone could step in and say, you know what, I need to be appointed as the guardian and the conservator for this person. You could have a situation where the stepchildren don't want to be bothered at all. So then the court is trying to step in and get someone appointed. It really... It really depends on those relationships, but mm-hmm. it's, it's, that's a standard. Simple, simple, simple. Let's say the stepchildren are, uh, let's say a family member now, an actual family member, but mm-hmm. a relative, that thinks that the, the stepchild is taking advantage of the individual. Oh, boy. Now, who's got, uh, <laughs> now who has uh, priority? Who has? Well, I can tell you, elder law abuse is uh, a big thing. If that's right. the situation. And like in Michigan, you have the AG's office where they actually have a group that is looking at elder law abuse because it comes up so much. Mm-hmm. So if you have a stepchild and that child was never adopted, but then you have an actual blood relative who may be next of kin for this person, they could very well step in, petition the court, go through that process, get mm-hmm. appointed, everything else, and kind of go from there. And then you might end up with a prosecution. Mm. For a stepchild. Mm. Yep, it really wow. just depends. But that's not crazy. And for some of the some of the things that some people think is it's crazy is not crazy. But so in today's world we have a lot of pet parents. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. And people will get things set up <laughs> so that their pets are taken care of after they're no longer here. And there are plenty of stories coming out now where they've set up a trust. Mm -hmm. It's a pet trust. Mm. So that, you know, Buffy the cat is fed 
twice a day and given Perrier water and whatever else. But then the person who's actually supposed to provide that care because they're getting paid a little bit out of the trust will do everything they can to keep that cat alive. Even beyond the point of true viability for the cat. Mm -hmm. And it ends up being really crazy at that point because it's like, okay, uh. <laughs> what what did you leave behind? And it, it's coming up more. There's some some changes coming up. So pet trust and the dogs in the baskets and the the, the cats out here. It's it's a bit much um, on the the person side of things when it comes to the funeral arrangements and everything. It's not crazy to me. I think it's interesting, but um, you have people where they still request to have their bodies donated to science. That's it's been a request for quite some time, and you you just ask, okay, do you already have an arrangement together, or is there some place you want us to name? It's usually a university, but now we are getting into. You may have heard of the the tree pods and oh, the yeah. amber bus, yeah, and those types of things. Mm-hmm. Well, so wait, can you explain the tree pods? Because when you <laughs> explained it to me, I was like, what is she talking about? I don't want that. <laughs> And that's where it's going to end up getting crazy down the line. Right. So with the tree pod, and it's not like it's legal in every jurisdiction because you you got certain things that need to be in place when it comes to burial. But you have some offerings where you can put the person's body into this pod and bury it into the ground and a tree will grow from it. You have some other offerings where a person is cremated or the, the, the body is cremated. And that's put into this container, and it's buried into the ground, and the tree grows. Well, let's say it is 2122. What does that mean? Right. So you've had a family property, real estate property, let's say it's down south, it's been in the family for 300 years. This is where all those tree pods have been buried Someone in your family gets a good offer to sell the land. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, like Sorry, boy, what happens? Right. <laughs> right, right. And so, you know, the closest thing that we've had up to this point with that is a lot of times back in the day, people would be buried, you know, out in their yards. That's usually <clears throat> where that would happen. So then people start selling property and it's like, okay, well, you can't really go back or you may have a designated cemetery next door to a church or whatever the case may be. But the tree pods, people are going to fight over Amber Bus because it's kind of like having, you know, the urn with the ashes in it. What's Amber Bus? They basically create an amber bust of the person, and it includes that person's ashes. Amber amber bus is a bus something that I'm not, like, not a real, not a bus. So a bust is essentially the statue where it goes from the chest and has the head. All right, okay. now we getting the camera. I know, I know. <laughs> right. But you, you no, see. Right. Look, I'm going to tell you, it's, it's interesting to me because, so I am more on the um, cremation side of things. Mm-hmm. And so I had my mother cremated, and in my mind, I'm going to have a four-person whatever at Woodlawn. Mm-hmm. And um, so if something happens to me, mom's ashes and urn will go there. But I've been also, <laughs> my aunt gave me a um, a, a plant like 20 years ago, and I've had this plant for 20 years. And so I've been considering taking mom and this plant and, 
you know, but, I'm, but my concern yeah. is somebody's going to bulldoze it. <laughs> <laughs> right. So right. that's why it's interesting to me because it's it's yeah. alternatives to just traditional um, burial, but um, I'm going to have some of the concerns that probably some of your clients may have. Like, you know, what if my kids don't take care of it property, properly? What if, you know, they want to sell my property and, you know, like, I don't want it to be like lost. Exactly. And I can tell you that I have not had a client who was like, oh, yeah, that's what I want to do. Yeah. No. <laughs> no, no. No one has said that. It's very interesting. No one has said that at all. But, yeah, the, the pet trusts with the, like, come on now, the cat can't even walk anymore. Mm-hmm. Right. It has one working <clears throat> leg, and you have someone where they're trying to hold on because they, they get, get paid, you know. Yeah, exactly. They get $1,000 a month to make sure Buffy is taken care of. <laughs> <laughs> and the cat crazy. is blind, one working leg. Like it, it might be time. Right. Mm-hmm. It might be time. Well, I would like to thank you. Yeah. Um, I thank learned, you. I learned a I mean, right. remember, there yeah. are a lot of pieces to it, and so you know, when people are like, "Oh, I'll do it myself. I'm going <laughs> online. I'll no, find it." Like, okay. Mm-hmm. Well, how can it. we find you? So I actually operate a virtual law firm. Because I'm licensed in so many places. So people can actually go to my website. It is thejeterlawfirm.com, T-H-E-J-E-T-E-R, lawfirm.com. They can find me also on Instagram and Facebook at thejeterlawfirm.com. That's how people can actually reach out. Wonderful. Um, You can find me at Johnita Stanton on Instagram, Johnita Stanton on Facebook. And where do we find you, Mr. Perryman? Regisrealestate.com or just Google Reginald Perryman. Shaka Williams? Uh, ShakaSales.com or MasariContractors.com. Thank you so much for a wonderful show. Thank you. Appreciate (laughs) you.